1: Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. Today we have Tamar Hermes, a very good friend of mine who does things a little bit differently than a lot of us in her short-term rental investing journey. Uh, She is a passive short-term rental investor. So Tamar, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Avery. This is so much fun to hang out and to share what I'm doing with short-term rentals. So I'm going to speak not just about my overall investing portfolio, but really I'll focus it on short-term rentals since that's what this show is about. And essentially what happened was that I knew that People were making a lot of money in Airbnb, but I just felt like my schedule didn't permit for managing it all and setting up the systems. And so I met a partner that actually was really skilled at short term, and he didn't want to use all of his cash. So I brought cash into the deal and we made uh, an investment together. We actually own two large homes in Gatlinburg and we're about to buy a third. And uh, we bought those together and he set up all the systems, does all the management. I make my return, which is between 15 and 20 percent annualized. Plus, I have equity in the deal. And uh, that's how that's how it works. We just keep keep uh, finding properties. And as we like the deals, uh, go on those deals, go in on those deals together.
1: Awesome. So can you give a little detail, like take one of those deals, for example, and give us like some high level numbers of what the purchase price was, the amount that you put into it, the amount you're getting out. Are you getting paid monthly, quarterly, annually? How does all that look?
0: Sure. So uh, generally, I mean, obvi- we bought these right before COVID. So that's why everything is with a little bit of a caveat, because obviously COVID uh, w- did slow things down for a couple months. And uh, so it wasn't a traditional uh, way that we would do this. But uh, let's say I'll just take one of the properties. So one of them was purchased for, I believe, 800000 And then I put in I want to say eighty-three thousand. I think, if I remember correctly, I don't have the exact numbers, but that's pretty close. And I make twenty percent on my money, and I owe, uh, I own, I believe twelve point five percent of that deal. So uh, the way, so basically, and then I we don't pay, I don't pay twenty-five percent fee for management. My partner manages it, and then of course we do have people that need to take phone calls and do the things that just come up regardless of how automated you are. And so we have someone that manages that. Of course, we have the cleaning person, all of that gets deducted. But then after everything is deducted, uh, that's pretty much around what I make. And also for the loan, I should say, on those two properties, I'm not on the loan. We're pretty open about, okay, who wants to do the loan? Uh, luckily, we, we do have some, both of us have a fair amount of equity. But uh, in these cases, I'm not even on the loan. I'm just a pretty much an investing partner.
1: Okay, awesome. And I'm sure, so your, your setup is you're the money person and your partner is kind of the sweat equity person.
0: Yeah, in a way, they have money in the deal as well. But for the most part, what's interesting, and Avery, you talk about this a lot. And I think you, you've been responsible for changing the minds of a lot of people who think about Airbnb as even being a sweat equity. Certainly, when you start, there's a lot of setup and systems. But my partner, just like you, would argue that once everything's set up, it really isn't that hard to manage. So I would say yes, though, he does manage all those pieces. I don't do anything.
1: Okay, awesome. And yeah, it's it's definitely not like a set it and forget it kind of thing, but it is, it's work, but it is easy work to manage. So uh, I know a lot of people who structure their partnerships as a money partner and a sweat equity partner, but you guys did it a little bit differently. So you each brought money into the deal and he's kind of managing everything.
0: Yeah. And I think one one of the things that I think makes someone a good partner uh, or creates a great partnership is when you have synergy and you really get along and you share values and you have a lot of trust with one another. Because in deals, when you don't have that, then it cre- can create conflict. And then all of a sudden, a an easy deal can turn into a, quite a difficult deal.
1: <laughs> For sure. I know... A- I've only had one partnership with one person on two properties before and uh, we don't have it anymore. It was an amicable buying out so that we could go buy something else. Uh, But if you don't have the right person and if you don't have everything laid out in writing about this is what happens if this goes wrong or if this happens, then this happens, then um, it can really get hairy pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that uh, we have a bit of that in terms of we have okay if something happens to you, what are we going to do with the property, and how are we going to do this, and how is this going to work? But for the most part, things run pretty smoothly, and we don't usually have a lot of conflict because because we're on the same page. So that's been that's been really uh, a nice arrangement.
1: It makes all the difference to, to have the right partners. I know with mine, we never had to use that agreement that said, okay, if this partnership sours, then this is how that's, this is gonna go. We just have always gotten along with ours and that's great, but that's not always the case. So do you have any advice on how to find partners? If someone, so whether you're the sweat equity person or you're the money person, how do you find a partner?
0: Well, I, that's a great question. I think that what's really important first is that you're very clear about what you're doing or at least have an idea of what your intention is when you set out to uh, To find a partner because it, it, if if you don't know exactly what you're bringing to the deal or how it's or how you uh, what kind of partnership you want to create, then you don't really know what kind of person you're looking for. So for me, I was very focused on passive investing. I didn't talk like I said. I wasn't going to talk a lot about my portfolio or my past or anything like that. But uh, let's uh, let's just say that I am involved in a lot of different kinds of investments. And so when I was looking at Airbnb, it really wanted to find somewhere uh, that I could put my money that I didn't have to do a lot of the work. So I was networking a lot. I always do. I mean, part of this business and what I love about it is that we do network so much. And so I, I just was networking and talking to a lot of people and sharing about what I would like to do. People knew that I had money to uh, to invest. And then uh, before long, I met I met my partner and and really liked him a lot. It's actually a father and son. But what I would say about it, too, is that it's really important that uh, that you don't necessarily just get into partnership with someone just because they um, they have the deal or because you have the money and they came to you. It's important to be able to say no to people, because sometimes if people don't have experience, then, you know, there's a learning curve and there's a little more of a risk or if someone doesn't seem like they're very responsible, then that's something you wanna consider.
1: Being able to say no is a really good tool to have in your tool belt. I don't have that a lot of the time. I'm working on that It's a weakness of mine. So that's really great advice. Uh, So let's zoom out just for a second. to your real estate portfolio as a whole. So you are somebody that I would consider a an experienced real estate investor. And um, you had lots of other types of investments and involved in a lot of other type of deals before you came into short-term rentals. Can you talk a little bit about those?
0: Yeah, sure. So what's interesting is that uh, I really started as a buy and hold investor. It's not sexy. It's not anything that challenging. But you know what? It's tried and true. And you will, if you buy in the right places and you hold and you just do buy and hold, you will make a lot of money. And uh, and that's what I did. And it worked really well. And from there, I started branching out into syndication deals where I was involved with multifamily investors and also. So doing passive investments and uh, I'm trying to think I'm in uh, I'm in a lot of passive deals. So I'm in a lot of deals with partnerships and uh, and and then, like I said, I still have my buy and hold portfolio and then I do the Airbnbs and I also invest in businesses now and uh, in uh, in a variety of uh, commodities and things of that nature. So I'm very diversified.
1: That's awesome and it's really important to have a diverse portfolio I know this whole show is about short-term rental investing but I personally too keep try to keep a very diverse portfolio We've got a multifamily that we're closing on 12 units at the end of the month and uh, 25 long-term doors and then six or seven short term so I think it is very important a lot of people get really hung up in kind of tunnel vision on the short-term rental thing but it is good practice to have other types of investments and not just short-term rentals.
0: Yeah. And even though when you have them, uh, when you have your short-term rentals in one place, like we have ours in Gatlinburg, I'm actually looking here in Austin uh, in some of the suburbs to create a portfolio of Airbnbs because I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. Uh, So it just it it creates, especially when you also get your income in different ways. So if you have some Airbnbs and then you have some buy and holds and the Airbnbs shut down like COVID, which will hopefully never happen again like that. But uh, but, you know, a lot of people were really grateful that they had the uh, buy and holds because there maybe their tenants were very steady and they kept paying their rent. So they were able to kind of offset. You just always need to have a. some offset when you're investing because you cannot ever have a hundred percent guarantee that it's all going to run smoothly.
1: Great advice. So tell me a little bit about your first introduction to real estate investing. What got you interested in doing this? So I
0: stumbled into it. I grew up poor. I was the child of a Holocaust survivor. I'm a first generation uh, here, and. Uh, I never knew about making money or how people grew wealth. I didn't know, I just thought rich people got real estate. I didn't know I could get real estate. But as I was going through my life and I started making pretty good money, I started looking for, I started seeing the trap right away. I mean, it just became more and more apparent. Like, and the trap is, is that even when you have a great job, I was an executive at television, it was fun, but I still thought, if I don't wanna do this, where's my money gonna come from? And so, you know, I, that was the trap for me was that I didn't really have complete freedom. I was basically stuck in this in this position. So I started looking for ways where I could lower my income, uh, my, my expenses. And uh, whenever you look at your expenses, the biggest line items are going to be your rent if you're renting uh, and also your uh, car payment. So I wasn't a huge, I had, I had a cool car, but I had an old kind of classic Mercedes. So it wasn't driving me into the dirt uh, as far as expenses. But uh, my rent was, was pricey, even though it was reasonable, it's still a lot of money. So I started looking for a property and I ended up buying a duplex So that one, I had a tenant, so she's paying part of the mortgage, and then I also got to move into an asset that could grow for me, and it has. It's grown over a million dollars. I still have that property. I just kind of like keeping it, and so uh, I don't know that we'll ever sell it. Although the one thing that you do find the more and more that you invest is that even as a buy and hold investor, there is a time where it is more uh, beneficially. You can make more money if you do sell it. But like I said, you don't have to, you can keep it simple.
1: A million dollars in appreciation. Where is that property?
0: It's in Los Angeles and I have had it for 20 years. So, uh, so it was, uh, I bought it for 400,000, but the, uh, the area is really, uh, done. It was, that's, that's the thing when every, when all, when you don't know what to do in real estate, just go back to one word, location. That's it. Location, location, location. The, you know, it's like that old saying, and it seems so cliche, but it's true.
1: Absolutely. My very first property was in kind of a uh, an up-and-coming area of Nashville. And now that property has not appreciated a million dollars, but it has doubled <laughs> over the past few years. So That's and great. If- yeah. Yeah. It's been great. I think we are going to 1031 exchange it when uh, their lease is up in June, but you bring up an interesting point because when, when you are buying and holding, which is what most of my properties are, even the the short terms, they're still buying holds. Um, there is always this, especially when things are appreciating, should I sell it now? Should I sell it now? Should I sell yeah. it now? This is doubled in value. Should I sell it or should I keep it? So what makes you decide, okay, I'm going to keep this or I'm going to sell this? Is there a, th- a certain threshold that makes you say, okay, it's time to sell?
0: That's such a good question. There's a lot of criteria that goes into uh, the analysis of whether to um sell or hold it. And I think one of the things all has to do with what are your objectives? So for example, when I moved from LA to Austin, I sold several properties. And the reason I did was because uh, I want, they had appreciated a certain amount and they were assets that I was holding in a pension plan, which is gets a little complicated, but you can buy properties in a 401k plan. And that's what I had done. And um, And so I wanted to get the equity out of them. And those are, when you're in a plan, you cannot 1031 exchange. So basically at a certain point, once they appreciate, they'll keep appreciating and rents had gone up and they were great properties, but I wouldn't make as much as if I took the money and put it elsewhere. So that was kind of the way that i looked at it and i think that also when uh it it looks you have to look also at your overall portfolio so if you have several assets and uh and you know you want to buy a couple more and you need the money you can either refinance a property, or you can, um, or you can just sell the property. I basically think as long as if you can refinance it and still make the mortgage, especially with these low interest rates, to me these days, I I don't really know why you would sell, sell it if it's in a great location, because I, I don't know, I just feel like, just keep the properties, they'll just keep appreciating. And then at a certain point, you know, if you're, if you're really wanting to have velocity, then you really need to uh, sell them at a certain point. You need to sell them a lot sooner than I did. I would have had, I, it's not like I didn't have any velocity, but I would have had a lot more. So even though we talk about that one place, the, the duplex, and it's been 20 years. So I know it sounds really impressive, but 20 years is also a long time, is that uh, had I sold it or had I refinanced it more than I did, I would have probably made it, 2 million on it you know, so I, so there was more money, there was more meat on the bone, but I just didn't, I just went for like kind of the safe and steady on that one.
1: And that's great advice. There's one thing that you said in that, that caught my attention was purchasing properties within a 401k. A lot of people have questions about that. Can you kind of give us your experience and how you did that?
0: Yeah, sure. So purchasing properties in a 401k, uh, it does have provisions, right? Because it is a uh, it is a deferred tax retirement plan. So you need to make sure the first thing is that there are different different provisions for a defined benefit plan, a 401k plan, uh, Roth IRA, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is, they all you need to kind of follow the rules. So with my particular plans, uh, I could invest certain, I could invest in syndications, which means that I would just be a part of an investment or I could buy properties on my own, but I, I needed to purchase them, uh, in, in, uh, all in the 401k. So I couldn't, I couldn't get a loan on them and I couldn't just halfway purchase them. And there's all kind of, if that makes sense, because you can't, the thing is, is that you, there's a couple of different things you cannot do in, in plans. You can't uh, have your family live in them. So I can't buy a property and have my daughter move in it if it's in the 401k because it's considered commingling. You cannot do that. That's against the rules. And uh, they can take your, if they find out, they can revoke the uh, the plan and then you'll have to pay the taxes on all of it. Um, and the other thing is, is that there are certain ways in which you cannot, uh, you cannot use leveraged, uh, leveraged, uh, Income from there. So, like, you can't, you generally can't get a a bank loan out of there. Now, I've heard people saying that you can get loans, but I just heard that it's not a great idea. So, you'd have to look into that to be sure. But you can certainly, there's a lot of things you can do with your 401k. You don't want it sitting. You definitely want to make it self directed. So, you have choice, you have freedom. I mean, you could buy Bitcoin with it, you could do a lot of things with it. If you are a W 2 earner, though, You cannot uh, and you have a uh, you have a plan with your with your work. You cannot take that and self-direct it. Generally, generally, the company has certain vehicles that they require you to use. But once you leave that company, you can take it. I have a couple clients that are doing that right now. They used to work in different companies and they had left. Now they're collecting all of those and making them self-directed so that they can control that money.
1: That's great advice too. A lot of people have a lot of questions about doing that. So when you buy a property inside your self-directed IRA, so you, you're you basically having to pay cash for the property, right? Hmm. Yeah, you can't, I mean,
0: you can do partnerships, you can do syndications, but you do need to be careful about uh, about leveraging money because some sometimes they, uh, if they consider it, they don't want you to borrow money on the plan to make money. So you have to be careful about that, about how that's structured. But yes, you do want to, you have to pay for it pretty much in cash.
1: And the rental income that you make off of that has to stay in- The plan, right? You can't just put it in your regular bank account and go buy stuff like that. No, you
0: cannot touch that money, all of that. Now, you're not even supposed to self-manage. Uh, so you're not supposed to take any money out, but certainly if you had a property manager, you could pay that property manager, the expenses, but pretty much, you know, I just have a separate account for each, uh, vehicle inside the plan. And then unless it's, uh, unless it's like the syndications, those are just inside the plan, but the plan you have to have, uh, uh, for, well, for, for, there are certain kinds of IRAs that you can just do checkbook, uh, checkbook activity, and you don't need to, uh, you don't need to have a custodian, but with 401k profit sharing plans, you do with defined benefit plans, you do. And then there's a custodian that kind of does all the navigating and reporting inside, but pretty much pension money stays with pension money. It needs it needs to, you take it out, you pay tax on it.
1: In a hot real estate market, like it is right now in Q1 of 2021, uh, how does that affect making offers on property. So what I'm getting at is in a multiple offer situation where you have to move really quick, when you're buying something in a 401k like this, are there a lot of approvals approvals that it has to go through a lot of people that have to sign off that makes it take longer to get an offer in? Or would this still be a strategy that works in a market like this?
0: No, you can, you you can just take the money out. In fact, I have a 401k plan. And yesterday I went to auction to buy a property and I, I didn't get it because the auction was closed right now because of COVID. But I literally took $400,000 of cashier's checks out of my account out of a 401k account, like just like that. So I mean, as long as it's allocated, you just can't, you know, I mean, it's self directed, but it needs to stay in the plan. Like I didn't take that money out and then move it into a personal account. You can't do that. It has to go right back into the 401k
1: gotcha gotcha so tell us about buying something at auction yesterday was that your first time doing that or do you do that often Tell us a little bit about that you come here often yeah uh, actually I,
0: I do not do that often it was uh, it was definitely an experiment and uh, I went to the uh, foreclosure auction because a property that I wanted was there. But because of COVID, it closed, so there was no auction. They they were too many people that were there the past few months. So the uh, the because the auctions are all held um in the in the counties and the and so they didn't they didn't like all the people there. They felt like it was a, a risk, a health risk. So there was nothing. But next month I'm going to go, and I'll and I'll let you know. I'll do a follow up.
1: Did you by any chance just read David Osborne and Erin Amuchasteghi's book that inspired you to go do that? Because I just did. And I'm like, I am going to buy stuff at the courthouse next month. Uh,
0: Yes, absolutely. I definitely (laughs) recommend reading that book. And that was definitely part of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They totally inspired me. I have no idea what I'm doing in that space, but I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm doing this next month. Let's go.
0: Yeah. You just, you know, yeah, why not? You know, it's, uh it's uh, it's a whole other opportunity to uh, gain access to properties before uh, there's a lot of other people getting them I mean the MLS is is pretty crazy town and you know you'll pay over right now which is seems fine right now because the market's hot but if we see a huge dip you may not be that happy in the short term
1: I agree I definitely agree and speaking of short term, we're gonna circle back to short-term rentals so, you have all of this investing experience. You're clearly experienced enough to feel comfortable taking out $400,000 of cashier's checks and walking out of the courthouse with it. <laughs> so tell me what made you decide to start looking for a partner and get into that short-term rental space?
0: Well, I really, I, I I wanted a piece of the action. I mean, I see that short-term rentals are so great. I listen to you, Avery, talking about how when people, when investors are starting out, you always talk about, hey, uh, people talk about, oh, you can house hack, which means sharing your, you know, buying a, a little house and then getting roommates, which is a great strategy. But you always say, why don't you just get an Airbnb? Because you can make so much rent and then you can cover your mortgage. And uh, it just seems so attractive. It seemed like such a great opportunity. So uh, I, I'm really excited to be part of it, especially because I'm invested in an area of Gatlinburg, which, you know, is, uh, is a great area. (laughs) And, uh, and so I, uh, so I just, I just didn't see any reason why I wouldn't want to be a part of
1: that. That makes a lot of sense. And short-term rental investing makes a lot of sense. I can't, and I'm sure there are people out there who have other ideas and correct me if I'm wrong, and please send me any deals if you know of them, but it's really, really difficult to find any other types or, assets that can cash flow the way a single family short-term rental can for you know the the terms you can get on the loan you can get a conventional loan you can do a vacation home loan if you meet those stipulations which the interest rate is low the down payments low it's really difficult to find that kind of cash on cash return anywhere else
0: yeah that's true the other thing that um that we've been talking about recently uh, is, uh, is this idea of a longer short-term rental. Cause some, when some people are really, when one of the fears for me, well, I wouldn't say fear, but, things that I'm looking at mitigating risk, which is that you could be in a city and they could say, sorry, no more short-term rentals here. So one of the things that you can do is you can make it over 30 days and get nurses in or military or people that want to stay for a few months. And then you are no longer considered short-term, but you can still charge a lot more. So that was one of the things that I thought was a pretty interesting way to go in terms of still making good money.
1: It definitely is. And we actually have some guests coming up who do that exact thing that, or that's, I haven't interviewed them yet, but it's going to be a really interesting interview for sure. So coming to the last few questions of the show, what advice would you give 20 year old Tamar who has not invested in real estate yet?
0: Well, the first advice I would give her is to, trust that real estate is an incredible way to grow wealth and that if she were to stay on course, she could live a life where she did not not ever have to worry about money and have choices on how she lived and what she wanted to do with her life. Uh, in terms of that, I mean, we all have choice in terms of what we want to do with our life, but let's face it. I mean, we live in a reality where there's money involved. Uh, and so... If you can if you can kind of have real estate take care of that part, then you have a lot more leeway to make choices. So I would tell her that and I would tell her to to uh, just mitigate the risks as best she can and then just to go for it, because uh, it there's um, there's a lot of opportunity out there, no matter what what's going on in the world. There's always a lot of opportunity. So.
1: I think I would tell 20-year-old Avery the same thing because 20-year-old Avery was bartending at the Jackalope in downtown Austin and all my friends who were a little bit older than me were buying these like $60,000 houses on the east side of Austin and then three or four years later selling them for like half a million, even more now. So I really wish I would have known then what I know now.
0: I know it's crazy. I mean, that's that we live in such a great time where there is really so much opportunity and we have access to the Internet. We have access to great podcasts like this one. And there really is no reason not to be focused and pursuing uh, these financially free goals and building a portfolio uh, in real estate. For sure. And.
1: Piggybacking off of that, what advice would you give a new investor today who is looking to get started, not just necessarily in short-term rentals, but any kind of real estate investing? What would you tell them?
0: Well, I would tell them to sign up for my course and my master my mastermind first, uh, because I do offer one and I do teach the world of real estate investing and 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 coach uh, uh, mostly women along that, and I really believe in that. But after that, I would say get educated and get in action. So, you know, maybe that is, uh, if you don't have resource, uh, then you need to listen to podcasts and go, go to networking events. And you need to really get, get a plan together in terms of where are you going to invest? Where are you focusing? It just really helps to, to kind of know what you're, if you just think, I just want a property anywhere, for under $50,000, it's not, you're not, you're not going to find it. You're not, you've got to, you got to get a little bit, you got to get your research going and you've got to get your, uh, your plan in order. So, uh, that's what I would say. I would say to, to start educating yourself and just start focusing in and honing in on the plan and getting an action.
1: Great, uh, great advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset, or maybe not favorite, but one that you've read recently that has resonated with you?
0: Well, I think I'm going to pick The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. I just love that book. And uh, he didn't. he's the first one to say that it really wasn't revolutionary what he talked about, but he just researched uh, really successful people, looked at what they did, and he discovered that there were six things that... Either they either all of them, they all did all six of these or at least one of them and calls them savers. So silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading and scribing. And I just think that those things in the morning when you wake up and you give yourself uh, some time for yourself to focus and hone in on your intentions for the day and for uh, in giving yourself grace and just enjoying your life that you'll really walk through the day more powerfully, more positively, and you'll be able to make a lot more happen. So uh, I just really, I really love that book. He's done them. He's partnered with a lot of people. They have millionaire morning for millionaires and for sales and for our, uh, our friend, uh, Brianna Greenspan made a coloring book with Hal on one. So there's, there's a lot of them, but they're all great.
1: I love that one. I read the regular one and then also the one for real estate agents. So, big fan of that. (laughs) Okay. So, Tamar, uh, tell us a little bit about your mastermind, your coaching, and where the listeners can find you.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, you can always find me on my website uh, at www.wealthwarriorwoman.com or at wealthwarriorwoman on Instagram. And uh, what uh, what my work is, in addition to my investing, is I created a course on the world of real estate, which is called The Real Deal Formula. And with that, I combined it in such a way where I can uh, coach a group through through the uh, through the process of the course uh, for six months, and so it's a pretty good deal uh, to get time with me in the mastermind, and I'm super excited about it just because it's something that I wish I would have had, even with all the resource and. Uh, information that we have available to us for free. Like I said, it's really hard to sort it out and it's hard to figure out, you know, what your, I go into your financial analysis and what are you looking for? What are you looking at? So I really like that a lot. It's a, it's an open enrollment on that. So anyone listening to this in three months can join and five months can join. That's another thing I love about it. And then I also coach privately and with couples, but, but my, my course and my mastermind are, uh, are really what I share the most.
1: Y'all definitely check it out. This girl really knows what she's doing. So thank you so much, Tamar, for coming on the show. And uh, we hope to have you back again soon.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Avery.